0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guest today is Carla Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. Carla, thanks so much for taking the time to join me.
0: Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here.
1: Carla, we are talking about procurement. We're talking about innovation. We're talking about all the things that really make a place like NASA run well. And meet its mission. We know you're not a chief information officer and that's okay because everything we also do probably has a technology flavor to it. So let me start at the very beginning because innovation has really been key to NASA. As I've written before, you guys at NASA are probably the most popular and most well-known agency across government and one known about innovation. But innovation and acquisition don't always play well together. So let's start there. How are you as the senior procurement executive promoting that idea of, of innovation?
0: In calendar year 23, it's going to be an amazing year at NASA for innovation. Um, We're standing up at the end of January, something that we're calling Acquisition Innovation Launch Pad. I think many people are familiar with the um, DHS Pill, uh, the Procurement Innovation Lab, but we have ourselves an acquisition innovation launch pad that we're going to be fielding to talk about how do we move the needle forward for procurement with respect to um, innovation and procurement, but also program management and also looking at innovation with our industry partners.
1: The nail is something that is, I love the name, of course, you a good job of coming up with, uh, with a good thing we can remember, the pill, the nail. Is something that you've uh, been working on for the better part of a year. How did you come around to this? Why do you think now is the right time to launch the NAIL?
0: I've been with NASA just about two years. I was trying to get a good, solid understanding of the culture of NASA. I think everybody is aware of NASA's reputation for innovation and achievement of of really hard problems, but wanted to make sure that whatever we developed in procurement, it complemented some of our technical disciplines. So one of the things NASA is known for is something called inclusion. That's one of our um, five core values. So in order to have a good, solid institution with respect to innovation, you need to be able to include everybody. So I use the time, the say, eight 18 months or so to get to know key players in the procurement space that work for me as well as the acquisition and program management space. Also spent some time with some of our science and our technical folks to understand, you know, what are some of your challenges? Is it just cycle time, Is it, you know, how do we get requirements put together faster? Is it how do we take industry innovations and incorporate that into the government space? And so I took all the time of, I'll say, research to understand NASA before we started to launch it. Now, coincidentally, we had a number of significant events over the last year with the James Webb uh, Space Telescope that went up. We had the Artemis launch as well as the Artemis splashdown. So as we've had those successes, as far as um, our programs go, our uh, single launch system, our standard launch system that went up, that put Artemis into orbit, all of those things went off technically without a hitch. But each of those items had their own sets of procurement challenges. So we were hoping to learn from some of those mistakes or some of those challenges as opposed to mistakes. And then we were looking at opportunities where we could move the needle forward as we looked towards the next endeavors that we were looking at, whether it's services, whether it's systems, or whether it's personnel and and acquisition and procurement.
1: Not to get too into the weeds here, but when you talk about challenges from an acquisition perspective for some of these big projects, are they typical, what we think of, like writing requirements, getting it through the process, or are they special because we're talking about stuff that most people don't buy we're not talking about technology or pens and pencils
0: well a couple of things um, the way NASA is starting to acquire our, our space systems is where we're trying to shift to a more commercial services based system so while we do that we have to make sure we're incentivizing contractors to provide us the best value and we're looking at how do we as more closely as possible fix price or um, put pricing in place that will last a longer period of time so those are some of the challenges that we would historically have when we're we're doing R&D cost-type contracts. We're looking to use more commercial-type contracts. And so we're looking at how long or how, how long of a term should the contract be? Like I said, what incentives need to motivate the contractors? How do
1: we manage our risk is, is another way to say it as we move forward. There's definitely a challenge because you're, you're buying something that you haven't bought before, right? You're not talking right. about, I'm buying this, again, computer or Janitorial services, something that's bought all the time. You're buying something that is R&D in in many regards, but how do you buy that commercially? So I think that's where this NASA Acquisition Innovation Lab or Launchpad will come in to really take this best practice and make sure you share it. That's the idea behind it, I imagine.
0: Exactly. So so if you look at it in a way, it's a transformational commercial business practice. So we, you, some people say, why are we going back to the moon? We've done that. Well, we were only on the moon for a short period of time, but we're going to the moon this time to stay. So we need sustainable. Our spacesuits need to be basically extensions of life support systems. We need to have more ruggedized lunar terrain vehicles. We're going to be looking at battery technology. Many of the battery technologies were used for our automotive industry now, but how will that operate on the moon? Um, we're going to talk about, you know, how do we do refueling, cargo transport, and then actually conduct science, long-term science projects and experiments on the moon. And so those are the things that it takes time from, an, uh, I'll say, a transformational commercial business model. How do we deal with advanced technologies? How do we use our scientific processes to be able to have the right outcome? And then there were some uh, statutory, I'll say, changes that were required that we needed to be able to um, fund some of these contracts fixed price. And we did receive some legislative relief for that.
1: When you talk about the nail a little bit, I'm going to go backwards. It's going to be, I guess, uh, initial operating capability end of January. What's that going to look like? What's that going to mean? And then uh, I I would imagine you're pushing towards full operational capability later in 2023.
0: Exactly. So I mentioned before about inclusion with the NAIL. So the way the NAIL is going to be set up is at the headquarters where I sit is where we're going to basically manage the framework for the NAIL. But we're putting together a NASA Innovation Council. We'll have a representative from each one of our 10 centers. And so what we're looking for is proposed ideas for what we call enterprise level innovation. So we're not looking for individual innovations at each center. Uh, We are gonna have a test bed at each center. I think I may have mentioned this to you before um, where we can experiment on a much smaller scale, but the things that will be um, I'll say proposed to to, uh, the headquarters will be enterprise level. So we're looking at two or more centers that would be impacted. Ideally, the entire enterprise would benefit. We're gonna be looking for, um, I mentioned procurement innovations, but also we're looking for program management innovations. And that NAIL Innovation Council um, will be feeding us those. Now, as a companion to that, we're hoping to have a NASA Industry Innovation Council, and that will feed us innovations that industry would like us to look at. One of those we're actually investigating is how to have an industry partner, and we're looking at those projects, one of them is Orion, that are sole source at this point, that they would propose and give us a, a price proposal, we would receive it on our end and then we'd have an ability to exchange information and look at their supporting data online. Other ideas and things that we have deal with um, incentive structures and sharing of data and information. And we have other ideas in the the legal space with respect to how do you maintain, I'll say improvements and say the suspension and debarment space to make sure that people have like OCIs or that we have, but it goes back to sharing of information and some
1: insight on either side. I know you mentioned suspension and debarment. That gets me a little bit excited when we talk about uh, the weeds of procurement. I'm interested to learn more about the industry council a little bit. Is Mm -hmm. that going to be something? Because I think folks who are listening to this will go, oh, I want to be part of it. I want to take part. What's the plan to kind of get that going? Or maybe you already have it partially stood up. What's the thinking?
0: So bottom line for even for the internal, the acquisition slash program management and the procurement innovations, we're looking to do two in each category. So that's a total of four that would be internal at a minimum. And then with respect to industry, we are going to get together a small, I'll say round tables of uh, our small businesses and then our large businesses and walk them through what the plan is for innovation. That'll probably take place in the in the late spring, early summer timeframe. We want to get the internal um, kind of innovations going first. When those innovations are proposed, be it internal or with industry, we're going to have our council will vote and um say which ones would have the highest payoff for for NASA. Now we are looking for some quick wins early on. So um, we have some low-hanging fruit we think that will be um will pay off for us and, and have great value to the enterprise. But um with respect to industry, anyone that is interested, I have a, a little button on our webpage where they can meet with the SPI, the senior procurement executive, emails or as well as meetings. But what we're looking for is you know what is the hypothesis, what is the idea? What is the projected outcome? And then what would be the value both to industry and both to the government? So we're looking for something very succinct, a little abstract, like a single one to two page kind of a thing. We're going to put those formats
1: in place by the end of January. All right. And we will make sure we link to that, your page as well, to make it easier on folks to find as well, To if they're interested in doing this. And just before we jump into break, really the end goal here is twofold, I guess, is to see what's happening in the commercial sector and bring that into NASA, but to improve and evolve NASA's own procurement program management practices based either on A, those ideas in industry, or B, just ideas that come up that, hey, hey, Carla, we've been talking about this for years, we should finally do it. And then finally, there's there's some a little bit of resources, a little bit of push to say, yeah, let's get this done. or, or Do I have that correct?
0: That's correct. And um, NASA does have a heritage. We could talk about that in the next segment of innovation. We've over time become a little a little more risk averse and we're looking to kind of reconnect with some of our grassroots from the early to mid 2000s. And we're also looking to um, leverage ideas that, like I said, people have been talking about for a long time, but create a safe space for people to try different things where it's not going to be a catastrophic impact if it doesn't go according to what we would expect. And then once we prove
1: that out, then we'll incorporate it on a larger scale. I think that safe space is, is key. We know that the risk aversion around, across government can be tough to uh, overcome. Uh, and we'll talk more about how you're doing that through uh, innovation. And first, we're going to take a quick break. My guest today is Carlos Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. I'm Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by COPA, on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by COPA, on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Carla Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. Carla, before break, you talked a little bit about the NAIL, the the NASA Acquisition Innovation Launchpad, uh, and and how it's kind of very similar to the Procurement Innovation Lab over at DHS. When we talk about innovation, you said there's, a, if you will, a heritage, something that NASA had been known for since the 50s and 60s, and then maybe you got a little more conservative, a little more risk-averse, and you're trying to kind of reconnect. What are some examples of that innovation over the last you know few years that you were there or even before that that you want to again reconnect to?
0: Well, as as you well are aware, NASA's always been up out in front solving difficult problems, pushing boundaries of space exploration, and now we're looking at those challenges returning to the moon. So that's why now. okay, so with respect to our heritage, NASA actually had the um, first or the what we call the original other transaction authority with our Space Act agreement that's in our charter. And that was the same authority that DOD leveraged in um, the late 90s, early 2000s. DOD took it a step further recently by going to use prototypes. So you use the prototype, and then you can go through production without having to um, compete again. So what we're hoping to do for NASA is have the opportunity to use our other transaction authority that we started with and being able to use sustainable or sustainable services as opposed to production. And so we're doing some work with the Ledge proposal, and that's one of the things we're going to be experimenting with in the nail. Other things that NASA has an opportunity to to do and things that we've been kind of leading the way on, uh, we were one of the first agencies to release the um, source selection decision document, which let our offers know, you know, what's the rationale for why the source selection decision authority made their decision. Many times people would protest awards because they just wanted to get more information. And so we have a heritage of releasing as much information as possible before we're asked or before we have to go to to, uh, litigation for that. Another thing that NASA did pioneer was award term, which was when a contractor does well, it's instead of an award fee, they get an extra year of performance. And a lot of that was done on our soup. Which is our NASA. It's an IT, um, contract, GWAC that, that many in the, in the federal government are familiar with. We have a couple of other innovations. Um, like we also do prize competitions. We also use broad agency announcements. These were innovations 20 years ago, but you know, others have adopted. They're almost commonplace for that. As far as off ramping and on ramping and modular contracting, NASA, we were some of the first to do that as well. And then if you go back to, um, I'll say nineties, early 2000s, We started with oral presentations and um, making award without discussion. So these are things that over time, as we've become a little more risk averse, we're not using to the maximum extent practical. So we're going to be looking and using more oral presentations, and we're going to be looking at doing more down selects, modular contracting. If you look at our human landing system right now, uh, right now we have a sustainable landing development um, RFP on the street. And what we're doing is we're taking the one contract that SpaceX did win and we're doing, um, basically we're increasing competition by having the sustainable lander. So that's, that's an example of some of the things that we are doing right now that are innovative that we would potentially put into the, the nail to be able to try it on a, on a larger basis. The last thing I just wanted to mention with respect to things that NASA's done that are transformational in the acquisition and innovation space is this idea of, um, developing a, a commercial launch services industry. Um, right after the, um, the space shuttle did sunset, uh, we were left in the United States without having um, a, a commercial crew uh, or a launch or cargo capability. And there are a few years that we actually used Russian transport. And I think not a number of people recall that. It took us somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 years. Uh, we started with the federal with a funded Space Act agreement and then moved to a FAR-based contract. But we were able to develop um, right now a very thriving and large um, commercial launch service industry, and many are familiar with Blue Origin or familiar with um, SpaceX, and a lot of that came back, it goes back to the heritage of those days when we were making investments um, with companies to get them started. So that just is the heritage of, of where we're going to go. We're hoping to transform, um, I'll say, sustainable life on the moon and then getting to Mars and a deep space exploration, and the nail will be, um, in my opinion, it will be the basis upon which we'll be able to experiment and then find the good acquisition practices that will allow us to be successful.
1: I think folks maybe don't realize that when you talk about going to the moon, you talk about sustainable life, deep, deep, deep space exploration, it all begins with procurement. You got to buy the stuff. Absolutely. I think, I think folks sometimes uh, gloss over that or don't, don't keep that in mind. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of, of that answer, which is the OTA. It's interesting because I know when we started looking at how the Defense Department was was using other transaction agreements, folks were like, this isn't new. This has been around since the 50s or 60s when NASA used it. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense of, and I know you've only been there a couple of years, what got NASA away from it and how your authority maybe is a little different than DOD or DHS or whomever's authority?
0: One of the limitations based on our council's view of uh, of our authority is that to use the Funded Space Act Agreement, Or even the unfunded Space Act agreement, but we're really talking about funded Space Act agreements here. It has to be to the good of the space industry or the space industrial base, but not direct benefit from to NASA. Meaning when we developed the commercial launch capability, you know, we were developing a commercial capability. You know, obviously Air Force uses it or Space Force uses it, but there's also, as you can well see, there's a satellite community that uses it as well as um, telecommunications. So we were developing that under that particular vehicle, and it was for an industrial base concern. When DOD uses the other transaction agreement, I had a lot of experience with this at, um, when I was at Missile Defense Agency and at an OSD level. It is generally for the direct benefit. Uh, what we're looking to do when, on the DOD side is to uh, attract non traditional contractors, commercial contractors that will take commercial application to problems and apply it to a military application. Um, and the, the enhancement to the DOD authority, which NASA does not currently have, is this idea that after you do the competition for the prototype, you can move straight straight into production without having to stop and recompete again. Um, NASA does not have the benefit of that, and that's one of the reasons why on our human landing system we had to stop and do a recompete. We did like a white paper prototype, and then um, last year we did a recompete. And what we're hoping to do with the sustainable services model is be able to use the same type of authority DOD does have for sustainable services throughout the acquisition lifecycle. And we also talked about some of the the barriers or things that we have to being more
1: innovative and, and happy to cover some of that. We'll get there in a sec. Let me just back up for a sec. When you talk about the sustainable model through acquisition lifecycle, that's different than prototype to production, or is it similar but different words and, and it has maybe different legal meanings, but it's yeah, the, then well, goal are the same.
0: Yeah. So production is typically you're producing more of same, right? So if you're buying missiles or you're buying, um, tanks or you're buying, you know, bullets, it's, you, you're buying lots of the same item, right? What most of the things NASA does, we only do once or twice, right? So, so it's not going to be a production. It's going to be a single vehicle. It's going to be a single, I would say, event or a, a single research project. And so what we want to do is we want to move to sustainable services. So the idea is that we'll be able to, to service that. One or two vehicle for a long period of time, so we don't have to stop to do. We're talking about acquisition lifecycle for logistics or operations. We want to be able to award that prototype or that um, that spacecraft, and then be able to service it without having to stop and then say this is a different type of procurement and then go and and do a competition for that.
1: I appreciate that the explanation because I think folks think here OTA and one it does create some concern, but two. The way you explained it is that's much the way it's different than DOD. I've written about and talked to your folks in the past about the source selection decision document and releasing that uh, looking at different off ramping and on ramping and modular contracting is the reason why that for instance, has worked well is because NASA's openness. There's a lot of transparency from NASA. Have you seen that that just people got nervous, people got burned. What what was the reason why you think that people have started to kind of move away from that type of innovation is is there any specific reason or is it things happen over time yeah. and someone needs to drive it
0: so one of the things we could talk about funding certainties right whether we know the program's going to be sustained and so um a lot of the times we're we're just buying one each kind of things and and that's that's it funding also having enough funding allows us to have um more than one offer more than one design to do the modular to the fly off or the down select so the the funding constraint is a piece of it and then our mission was a little bit different. So if we have a mission with, I'll say, scarce dollars, we're, we're tending to make one award for a longer period of time so that industry can understand where we're going. If you tell industry and you only have one offer that we may cut this off or we may not continue with it, it, it also limits your available pool of competitors. And so um, for that reason, we kind of got away from the modular piece of it. We feel now we do have the biggest budget that NASA's ever had. We have some of the biggest challenges NASA's ever had, not just in the human space flight, but also in science and the aeronautical. And so we have a lot more opportunities to introduce competition, a lot more opportunities to do trades. If we have two solutions to a single problem, we can then award a contract and get to like a design review, a preliminary design review, and then do an off-ramp or on-ramp. What we're finding is the marketplace is changing pretty quickly. You know, 18 to 24 months, we might have a new entrant and then we might want to on-ramp someone in that has a capability that we didn't have initially.
1: That's exactly right. Because I'm hearing the same thing when I talk to your human resources folks, your your chief human capital officer. I recently had an event with her. And, and, and she talked about this idea of trying to recruit people and it used to be NASA was quote unquote, the only, one of the only few or very the, the most popular game in town, but now with all these other entrants, getting those aerospace engineers and, and the folks in the science technology math area are now there's, there's a higher demand for them and probably fewer of them generally speaking. So I think you probably see the same thing with the companies where there was one company who provided you all with this type of launcher vehicle or whatever. Now, there's more that are coming and because they see the market. Absolutely. Carla, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we can, can continue our conversation and talk maybe a little bit about some challenges ahead of you. My guest today is Carla Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Coupa on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Coupa on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Carla Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. Now, Carla, we are doing something a little different on Ask CIO. We obviously are talking about procurement, but every part of procurement and has a technology angle to it. And this is where we start to talk a little technology now because we're going to talk data. One of the big focus areas from the administration and last several administrations is getting data around the spend. How are you spending your money? Where is that money being spent? How are you managing that spend, spend under management? That's a big issue for every agency. Talk a little bit about how NASA is really trying to manage your spend better through this data.
0: So NASA has had great success with our spend under management, and that's managing our spend for um, services contracts. We've increased from 59%, um, which was $2.8 billion in FY18, to $6.7 billion, which is 84% in FY22. So in FY22, we were in the top 10 out of the 28 departments for category management purposes. And they they break out DOD, so you end up more than with more than the 24. A big, I'll say, contributor to our success has been our ability to procure services on an enterprise basis. So we have a product service lines, lines like financial management, human capital, IT, strategic infrastructure, logistics, communications, Th- those are the services that most agencies have to procure. Right. So we instituted a program um, where we were doing agency level buying, which means enterprise buying or regional. We're not completely done with this transition. We're about 75% done. But very little work will be done just at the center level. We're looking to get economies of scale by buying services in, in bulk, for lack of a of a better of a better term. And what we've done, as I mentioned, over the past three years was focus in on agency level. So consolidation. Um, at the agency level to get the best bang for our buck and to normalize our requirements for services, meaning um, looking at our skill sets to make sure they're essentially the same. They could be slightly different based on location and location needs, but it allows industry to better respond to our requirements when we standardize um, the the types of labor that we need. But as we move forward and we're coming up on recompetes, because as I mentioned, we're about three and a half, almost four years into this. So we're coming up on recompetes and we're, we're wrapping up that first wave. We're looking very seriously at leveraging OASIS Plus. OASIS Plus is the um, follow-on to the GSA OASIS. And um, I'd like to take the opportunity to let any of our industry partners um, that regularly do business with NASA in the services acquisition space um, to think about um, proposing to OASIS Plus. That will allow us to move our spend under management to best-in-class contracts and then we'll be able to leverage not just a streamlined manner and method of doing work, but also um, streamlined proposal process for industry to be able to respond to NASA requirements. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be transformational for us. And it'll also be something we'll experiment first in the, um, in the nail. So that'll be one of our first um, opportunities to try this um, using that OASIS vehicle.
1: I appreciate you defining this enterprise by, because I think a lot of folks think about Uh, NASA and and each space center is a little different. How have you gone about really looking at that and standardizing? Because again, everyone thinks I'm a snowflake when in fact, we're all just frozen water.
0: Exactly. So it, it started with this mission support future architecture program called MAP. And what we did was we took all of the mission support functions and consolidated them under what we call an official in charge. For instance, I'm the official in charge for procurement. Um, you just talked about, I think Jane Dada is our human capital manager. So she, she manages all of the HR services. Our OCFO, our, our uh, chief financial officer manages all the financial management services. So once we aligned our, I'll say our government or organic workforce under the centralized headquarters official in charge. So that means all of those disciplines at each center report to ultimately to the uh, official in charge. It made it quite easy. To then consolidate the services that support those officials in charge at whatever location um, to consolidate their requirements now there is there are some differences right you know some some centers may have um, wind tunnels to manage, others might have you know hangars and then others might have actually you know launch pads. But it still would be, you know, facilities management services. So we're able to tailor what we need at each location if we're talking about facilities management. But we're also able to get the goodness of those things that are standard as opposed to unique across our centers, as an example.
1: And that's really the beauty of the multiple work contract as well. You could say we want a, you know, we're going to make an award to five or seven or ten companies to do facilities management in each task order hey, you may have expertise in, as you said, launch pads, or you may have expertise in managing hangars, and that's why that contract can, can kind of come down their way. You mentioned uh, Recompetes. Anything you want to kind of just put out there to say, hey, folks, watch for this in 2023 and beyond?
0: I'm going to be releasing a letter. So it will say uh, we encourage all current NASA Services contracts and those interested in NASA services requirements to get on to OASIS plus the RFP. Um, the draft was out, but the, the final RFP will be dropped. That is the first step. We need to make sure that our incumbent base, as well as other interested contractors, are available to us on those vehicles. And then we'll start to, we're not going to go wholesale. It's not going to be 100% the way DHS did, say, five or six years ago when Soraya Korea made that decision. We're going to use a couple test cases, see if it works for us the way that we anticipate, and then we expect to leverage those vehicles more heavily. So we will let people know the first step is get on the Oasis Plus And then we'll let people know which requirements will be first, second, third, when we go to use that vehicle.
1: And the good thing about Oasis is GSA, the current thinking right now, at least is it's going to have constant on-ramps. So you won't have this issue where one new entrance can't ever get on because they missed out on the 10-year contract or two, they won't have this issue where I didn't get on the first round. So I'm going to protest because NASA is my biggest customer or a big customer and I didn't get on and NASA said they're going to use it. So I have to put a Wrench in the process to to make sure I get on. So I, I think that's smart on GSAs. I think they're part. They're learning some lessons. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And then
0: we also have. We're going to use that to leverage a more diverse supply chain. You know, with more small businesses and maybe some businesses that haven't done business with NASA um, will see our requirements and then want to bid on those as well.
1: I'm glad you brought up small businesses as well as the supply chain. Let's talk a little bit about supply chain because that's been a challenge for every agency, every organization over the last couple of years. Talk a little bit about how you're working with those folks in in that part of NASA to ensure that you can buy what you need, that you have access to the batteries or the technology or the people or whatever it is to make the mission go Talk a little about supply chain.
0: We have a fairly diverse supply chain at NASA, and we're we're proud of our supply chain and and its diversity. But there are times when we would like to have some redundancies. We are also able to make use of um, a fairly robust international supply chain, partly because of International Space Station and the Artemis Accords. But we do know that there are barriers to entry. With respect to supply chain, so we do have. I mentioned earlier, generally a, a lower rate of production than, say, something like the Department of Defense. Our hardware and our, our needs in that area are highly specialized. You know, space qualified parts, and they're a little a little more esoteric. Our long lead procurement needs sometimes drive you know what industry does and how industry responds. And if it's if it's like a, a high cost but low demand item, you know, we end up paying a premium for those kinds of things. Those volume constraints translate to to more costly for NASA. So we're looking to be able to, to um, use our supply chain, diversify, to be able to get away from that. Um, we've experienced some vendor obsolescence as well. And we want to make sure that we are looking forward and we're not you know buying things that were 10 or 20 year old technology, that we have some path to the future so we won't be wed to old technology if in fact there is vendor obsolescence. But other challenges and other things we're doing in the supply chain space that others are having Issues with as well are pricing and inflation, right? Sometimes we are because it, we are low volume. We're competing with the higher volume. Um, we often don't have those DX ratings um, that the Department of Defense has. So sometimes we're not first in the queue when those things that we need are in production. So we're doing some partnering with DOD to be able to get our needs met there. And we are, you know, obviously looking carefully at the made in America provisions to make sure that we are, we don't have to execute waivers when we don't need to that we have a supply base that's domestic that can can meet our needs there. And um, within uh, NASA, we do have a working group that all of these barriers and and these constraints and challenges I I talked about, we're we're discussing how do we address those? um, How do we minimize those so that um, there is no impact, little to no impact on our programs and our systems and our schedules for delivery?
1: You mentioned real quick, this working group, is this something that's been around for quite a while? Or is this maybe came up over the last few years, specifically during COVID and specifically during uh, the the big challenges to get uh, certain parts became harder to get
0: yeah this is something that's relatively new um we did we obviously have had working groups for you know supply chain, but we have run into some things with covid you know availability accessibility, some of the things that we use with respect to um say chemicals or propellants that support our propellants those some of those trucks and things were being used for other purposes like oxygen when people needed oxygen um and they took priority, and so we weren't able to get what we might have needed there. We're helping our um, DoD brethren. Our DoD brethren are helping us when we do have um, fuel um, needs, or we, we have other other things that we buy like they buy, but in a on a smaller scale. So right now, um, to just let you know, um, they create a new position. There's an associate administrator for space security interests because cybersecurity as well as supply chain security kind of crosses into that space. And um, what the objective of that particular organization is to transition to a more proactive posture. Like I said, we want to get ahead of um, the supply chain challenges um, before it's like, oops, what do we do now? Kind of a thing. And then we're also um, creating a, a bigger awareness for supply chain management for our program managers, because we all have to be involved in supply chain management. It's not just procurement Um, and, and what's really great about it is it's not just a procurement issue anymore. It's a programmatic issue and it's
1: an agency level, I'll say mission issue that's being worked on all sides. All right. A lot more to talk about, but Carla, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will finish up our conversation. My guest today is Carla Smith Jackson, the assistant administrator for procurement and senior procurement executive at NASA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to ask the CIO sponsored by Coupa on federal news network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Coupa on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Carla Smith-Jackson, the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. Carla, before break, we are talking a little bit about OASIS, OASIS Plus, and the move that NASA is really looking at. You mentioned a letter that's coming out potentially in January. And obviously, if once that comes out, we'll make sure folks know about it. But folks probably be very interested in re-looking at how you all are, are dealing with services. How else can they find out about what you guys want to do with whether it's Oasis plus or services in general.
0: Well, we have a very robust uh, acquisition forecasting tool that's located on our um, website. But in addition to that, which um, we do update regularly, we do plan an advanced, what we call advanced planning briefing to industry for our um, product service lines. We had one last March, and we plan to have another one this March, late March, early April. And we will roll out what our plan is for how we um, will achieve and wrap up the rest of the source selections for the product service lines. It will be hybrid, both virtual and in-person, and we encourage all To attend, obviously free of charge.
1: All right, something for us to look forward to. And of course, when it comes out, we'll want to help you get the word out. So, you know, let, let me know. I will. Absolutely. All right. Look at that. Now we, we got you on the record on that one. Thanks. When we talk about the forecast industry or we talk about supply chain, and you, and you talked a little bit about so, some new positions. All this is dependent on data. And I think so much of of what you do as a procurement executive or or what uh, any, any missionary does is, do I understand what's happening today, what's happening in the future, and how can I adjust as needed? How are you kind of taking that data analytics piece and applying it to acquisition supply chain challenges?
0: So every year I put together, every fiscal year, a a couple of different initiatives that we want to focus on. It might have been acquisition workforce in the past. It might have been better industry engagement. But this year, um, one of my primary focus areas is to use data analytics for better decision making. And to that end, I just stood up uh, recently at the headquarters, a brand new division led by a new SES. Jeff Sage is leading this group called Enterprise Services and Analysis. So we're looking at how do we use data to get these better acquisition outcomes? So what does that really mean? Uh, We want to leverage e-business tools. Um, We know we need a new contract writing system. We're in the middle of market research for that to be able to get what we're hoping is a whole procure to pay system. But if not, we will just take the procure piece and let the CFO deal with the pay piece. We're going to integrate our grants as well, our grants and cooperative agreements as well as contracting um, writing system there. So that's one big thing that we're looking at. Uh, We're looking at um, hopefully integrating our acquisition forecasting tool with that. And then the planning and design of all of our e-business tools. So that could be things that might help you evaluate proposals. It might um, be looking at um, rates, pricing. So pricing, we have an enterprise pricing office that falls under that group as well. We've centralized our pricing function. So instead of each center having individual couple of pricers, all of those pricers report into a single virtual office. And so we have about 35, 40 pricers. They specialize in sole source as well as um, competitive acquisition, as well as commercial pricing. And so that gives us a lot of capability and flexibility from from a data analytics to be able to look at pricing trends. We can look at rates um, based on size of business, based on geographical location, uh, whatever segment of the marketplace. And so we are populating databases and dashboards now to get some insight into those areas. In support of better pricing, we also have business system challenges, be it accounting systems, estimating systems that our industry partners might have. And so we'll be working with um, the Defense Contract Management Agency, as well as the Defense Contract Audit Agency, to be able to get real-time data um, to help some of our um, negotiators and industry partners um, get to better deals. Um, we're going to be looking at different ways we can incentivize industry to either deliver maybe earlier or deliver more capable products or services. And so all of that's going to be in that data analytics area. So to get started, we're looking for some quick wins. So um, one of the things many of the, um, you'll find many of the 24 CFO act agencies are looking at are um, PALT data, right? Because we now are looking at um, ways to normalize and standardize PALT data. So our first issue was data integrity and and data cleansing or cleanup. So um, we had an average in FY21 of 325 days for award of a contract, which we know is not correct. That means data was input into a database that was not accurate. Um, We know what happened with that was when we made an award for an IDIQ contract, every task order that we would order reached back to that initial award of the umbrella contract. So then you just have a protracted Palt, we're able to clean that up and we went, you know, at the click of a, you know, some cleanup of data to an average of 128 days in FY22. And that was just based on data, data cleansing and and cleanup. So um, with respect to that, we're now going to be able to baseline our, um, our Palt, be it a competitive procurement, uh, a modification, Um, a sole source procurement, and then be able to figure out, you know, where are the long poles in the tent and how do we get better? Where do we go to streamline? And as we experiment with how to do that, that will also take place in the nail. We'll have some candidate opportunities there with respect to acquisition forecast. We've come a long way. In fact, we were recognized by um, um, the the professional services council for having one of the top um, acquisition forecasting tools in the agency. So we're in the upper echelon, but we want to make it better. We want to be able to sort the data um, in a way, we, right now we can do it by location and by commodity, but we also want to hold ourselves accountable to the schedules. So sometimes um, industry partners will be familiar with the fact that we'll say we're planning an award in quarter X, and we don't award till quarter Y, right? And so we're we're looking at ways to hold ourselves accountable so that when we say we're going to do something, we actually deliver it, and we have real-time updates if we do have to delay. And then the last thing we wanted to talk to with data analytics is better access to more current and um, recent market research. This goes to the heart of our ability to get more small businesses into our, um, our community, our industrial supply chain, or our supplier uh, base is by sometimes small business can't hold a team together if you can't get um, that requirement awarded in a timely fashion. By having uh, market research to know who's capable, who's qualified, and we have ready requirements, we hope to
1: attract more small businesses. All right, a lot to dig out there. I'm going to go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about this new division, Enterprise Services and Analysis. Was this something that came across as you did your research over the last 18 months or so? Hey, how are we looking at data? How are we using data? Was that just that kind of aha moment? Or had this been in the works and you just were able to, to bring it across the finish line, so to speak.
0: So this is another one of those back to the futures. Uh, we had about 10, 12 years ago, we had a, a, an enterprise analysis division, but we did away with it. Um, why did we do away with it? Because we were doing a decentralized management of procurement, right? So each center had their own little data analysis. And when we needed data at the headquarters, we would pulse the centers to give us information. Well, now as we transform to an enterprise um, level procurement Um, organization, we need data across the enterprise. So an individual center is only going to be able to give you their picture of what the world looks like. And so as I developed the need and said, hey, how do I get this insight if I'm talking to the deputy administrator, who's also the chief acquisition officer, if we're trying to dig into what happened to whom and why, Um, How do I get this data? Well, it can't constantly be, um, we were just doing data calls, data calls, data calls, and building spreadsheets, not databases. And so what we want to do is get this business intelligence in place. And so it kind of evolved. It was something we once had, my understanding. Um, We decided we didn't need it. And now we're kind of reinvigorating that capability with the right people in the right spaces.
1: Well, the good news, of course, is the technology is so much better today than 10 or 12 years ago. And the data is probably a little better too, so but, uh, you know, hopefully it will, you'll get better results and not that big of a lift. You mentioned a bunch of, of uh, focus areas: new e business tools, new contract writing system, new market research, a, a peer to pay system. Are all those coming up? For instance, we talked about Oasis earlier as potential task orders under Oasis yet, or it's Oasis Plus, I should say, or is it? Or uh, that may not be in place by the time you need it. Like, what, what's the acquisition strategy? Is I'm asking.
0: So the contract writing system is a near-term need, like um, the system that we currently have is going to sunset in 2028. So our expectation is we'll complete the market research within the next 30, 45 days. And the plan is to get an RFP out in late summer. So we need to get moving on that. And um, that will be in advance of the OASIS movement. Um, The other things with respect to e-business tool, we do expect to leverage best in class vehicles. uh, Once we know what's out there, Um, what we're finding is market research is important And we don't want to duplicate the wheel. If other activities or other agencies have something similar to what we need, we're going to be leveraging those abilities and working with those agencies.
1: Carla, I very much enjoyed our conversation, but unfortunately we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Carla Smith-Jackson is the Assistant Administrator for Procurement and the Senior Procurement Executive at NASA. Carla, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Coupa on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.